Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Straight from the Suburbs podcast. As usual, I am Mo, a.k.a. the Crypt Keeper, here to take you on a cryptic and macabre tour around the Ottawa suburban area and Ottawa itself. I know we've kind of traveled off the beaten path by going a bit further out, but hey, suburbs are suburbs, and that's where we're heading. So this is episode eight of the Straight from the Suburbs podcast, and this is episode two of my Summer Solstice Spectacular, Summer Solstice Hidden in Plain Sight. Uh, the first one we did was a couple of weeks. I know I'm a bit behind in doing the in doing the podcast, so I, I really appreciate everybody asking me, hey, Crypt Keeper, hey, Mo, when is the new episode going to come out? And I kept on saying, it's coming, it's coming. You know, but, uh, you know, life goes on. I had, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff to, a lot of stuff to, a lot of stuff to do. Despite the quarantine, there's still a lot of things to do. So I really appreciate people taking the time and listening. And I, as always, I do appreciate all the kind words you guys send and all the inquiries that you guys send to me asking, hey, when's the next episode going to come? So at the start of the month, um, we I did the, the episode number one for the Summer Solstice Hidden in Plain Sight series. And we tackled the solar wheel. That was very interesting. A lot of people were just like, oh, mind blown they had no idea that something like that was existing in, in ottawa but you know stay tuned for this episode because again something mysterious that you wouldn't imagine would be in the ottawa area it's here so today's episode is going to be i know i mentioned it last time it's going to be titled serpentine an ancient solstice monument in ontario serpent hill so before we tackle that i just want to say welcome back once again and um, I know last week I started a little a little phase of recommended reading, and I was mentioning that I was reading um, a book called The Year's Best Horror Story, Series 3, from 1975, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. I like that kind of story. I like a bit of the macabre, a bit of the, a bit of the horrific, you know. And this says it was the best, year's best horror stories from 1975. And let me tell you something. Some of these stories were pretty horrific. Um, they're amazing short stories, you know, and they cram in a lot of horror. One that really spoke to me was a short story by an author called J. Ramsey Campbell. He's out of Liverpool, England. Go Reds. And it's called The Man in the Underpass. And it, as soon as I read the title, I was like, oh, I had some weird experiences in, in an underpass. I wonder if it's the same kind of thing. And it rang true. So the, the story of The Man in the Underpass, it's about this underpass between... Uh, under that goes underneath the highway in Liverpool, and um, you know, of course, you know, kids go down, then they play around, and there's some seedy characters that go down there as well, and there's spray paint on the wall, there's graffiti on the wall, there's drug paraphernalia on the floor, but you know, the kid, it's exciting for kids, and I, when I was reading the description, I was like, holy cow, that reminds me of the underpass that I used to go exploring in with me and my friends between the Charles Tupper Building and. The, uh, the Canada Post head office on on um, on Riverside and it's it really rang true because I remember and all the lo- all the local people who are listening they, they know what I'm talking about right on right on Riverside they have on one end, one side of the street is the Charles Tupper federal government building and the other side of the street is the um, the Canada Post building and there's an underpass that connects the two buildings together. And it's crazy down there. There, there was spray paint. The lights are always flickering. It's dark. There's puddles, and it's crazy. And I remember going under there late at night, and there was a somebody had spray painted what I would call a, like a skeleton man. And I really thought nothing of it. And then me and my friends, you know, 
we're mid-teenagers, nothing else to do, really can't do anything. And so we'd go either skateboarding around down there or we'd just get off the bus there and go, go run down through the, uh, the underpass or use the underpass. And from time to time, you'd run into some people who may be doing God knows what down on the underpass. I never got, um, you know, I know nobody ever talked to me or anything, but, you know, a lot of people would turn their back and continue on their way. And I wasn't that big of an underpass. But anyway, so it, this really story really stuck, um, really stuck out to me because the the story is these these girls go down there. These two, these two little girls go down the underpass. Their parents tell them not to go because they know that there's a lot of creepy stuff going on down there, much like the underpass here in Ottawa. And they see a, a spray painting of an Aztec figure. And one of the girls really takes a shining to it. And she continues to go back to look at it. Long story short, she tries to invite her other friends to come down and check out the underpass some more. But the girls are freaked out about it. You know, I'm not going to play a spoiler alert, but like long story short, the, the, the spray painting artist rendition of the, of the, uh, the Aztec chief comes to life and you know the killing ensues and i was like oh my gosh there was a similar it wasn't an aztec but it was a it was a um it was a skeleton man and somebody had spray painted down there and it was always very creepy and the just like the story the lights are always going out so i I don't know it really it really caught my attention you know horror stories back in the 70s they they really set the tone for me because it's it's almost like in most boring story and then something horrific happens and then it goes back to being boring but then something horrific happens again and it really reminds you of just a typical day anyway it was an interesting story and i uh, i would recommend if anybody can read the short story the man in the underpass by i forgot the name of the the author now the book here it is by j ramsey campbell the man in the underpass by j ramsey campbell Highly recommended by the Crypt Keeper. And little things in the news that I that I really caught my eye and I wrote them down here is that did you know that Canada is planning to send a Land Rover to the moon within the next five years? And I, you know, Canada we don't have much much of a space program. I know we have some some pretty famous um, some pretty famous astronauts, but I think that's kind of cool that Canada is planning to send a rover to the moon within the within the next five years. It'll be uh, something to look forward to, at least. And since speaking of outer space and speaking of weird things, I'm going I'm to put a, put a word out there for you. The word, the word of the day is disclosure. Now, disclosure on, on UFOs, disclosure on the alien presence. That's what I'm, that's what I'm dealing with. You know, I've dealt a, a bit about kind of stuff like that in my past, in my previous podcast, but this is something that is really making the news these days. And, What's surprising me is that people aren't really paying attention. And I think this is what the governments have expected. And if you think about it, this all started back with um, with the release of the of the what they call the, the Tic Tac video. Now the Tic Tac video is a is a Navy video that was filmed by the American uh, fighter jets uh, off the coast of California, and they encountered on three separate occasions, and they were able to film and follow and really make comments on these odd UFOs shaped like Tic Tacs going up and down, stopping on a dime, going hundreds and hundreds of miles faster than their F-14 Tomcats and really making maneuvers in outer, in, in, in the, uh, in the air that are humanly impossible. And even one of them went into the water and came back out and went back under a game, a USO, an unidentified submerged object. Now this all started 
as I said, with the TikTok video. And that was all released by a gentleman called Luis Elizondo. And he was head of ATIP. Now, ATIP is kind of like, they say it's disbanded now, but I don't think it is. I think it's still in existence. And ATIP was the, the secret government program where they were uh, monitoring and they were tracking and making um, documents on these UFOs and USOs. And so Luis Elizondo, he had left the program because he said that, that he was asked to leave or that the program was shut down. He says it was shut down, but you know what? Once they, when they shut down these secret black ops situations, they just recreate them in a, in a different name under a different budget. And so he collaborated with, um, with Tom DeLonge, of all people. And Tom DeLonge was the, uh, the bassist and lead singer for, for Blink-182. And he, when, when Tom got out of the punk rock game, he um, he started a, a uh, an organization called To the Stars, and so he collaborated with um, Luis Elizondo and like, some really big name um, technicians and scientists, and they, they created To the Stars Academy, and they're working in conjunction with the government on secret operations. And Tom DeLonge recently came out saying that his organization, To the Stars, he, they are in possession of unidentified material that they recovered um, in an undisclosed area. And they're saying that this, this material, it's, it's inflammable, it's super light, and it's unbreakable. You know, if you ask the Crypt Keeper, I think that it's, that's some sort of material used to make UFOs. You know, they, they may have done some recon or, and picked up or, or trapped a la, a la Area 51, you know, a, a la Roswell um, a spaceship, a UFO, and they have pieces of it and they're dismantling it and they're reverse engineering it, trying to make it work or trying to see how, how it works so they can make their own. Who knows? And so back to Luis Elizondo, he also collaborated with a filmmaker named Jeremy Corbell. And Jeremy Corbell, he makes these great doc documentaries. They're fantastic. He did one on Bob Lazar. He did one on, 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 um, on Skinwalker Ranch, which is fascinating. And now he has a new one coming out based on all the, this old ATIP information provided by Luis Elizondo. It's fantastic. So it's, 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 it's a slow release, you know, but now it's coming fast and furious, all this UFO information. You know, and just recently, just this week and last week, uh, the Navy filmed Triangles in the Sky. And these are moving around in, and the maneuverability is impossible. It's humanly impossible for them to be making these these movements in the sky, but yet they are. Furthermore, the Navy the Navy again filmed pyramids in the skies, and if you're if you're up on ancient aliens or anything like that, they always talk about these um, ancient Indian Sanskrit novel, like novels or like um, parchments that they have in India that describe these flying objects that their gods fly on, and the, those objects are called uh, vimanas, and vimanas always. When they're when they're drawn out in the illustrate in the illustrations that go along with the the parchments, they're always triangular shaped, and these were the the chariots of the gods, so to speak. And this these are what they what the gods would do battle, and they'd use their vimanas to to fight each other. And these pyramids in the sky are essentially they look like vimanas. It's fantastic. If you could find it online, more power to you. It's it's amazing. I recommend everybody check it out. And all this information, as I said, is coming out kind of fast and furious now. And this is all stems back to, believe it or not, Donald Trump. You know, the, the orange president, he finally did something notable. 
And what he did was that he attached a bill to the COVID vaccine reform. And that bill is demanding the Pentagon to release all docs, all documents pertaining to UFOs, UFOs, anything mysterious, mysterious like that within 180 days. And it got passed because it was, it was put on the COVID vaccine reform bill. And believe it or not, the 180 days, they're up at the end of June 2021. So at the end of next month, the due date, the due date will be passed and the Pentagon must release all this mysterious information. I, for one, I can't wait. I'm, I'm loving it. And you could see that all this slow release of documents from the, from the Tic Tac to the Vimana to the triangles in the sky to the material that um, that to the to the uh, to the Stars Academy has through Tom DeLonge, it's a slow roll, you know. But things are picking up, so you know, stay tuned for more. There's something brewing, something definitely percolating there. All right, one more thing I'd like to go over before we get started in, in today's topic is that has anybody did did, uh, did you guys check out the the Blood Moon that happened on on Wednesday? was awesome it's a very rare occurrence that happens and it's a, it, what it is is that the moon shines super bright and it looks like it's super big and it looks like it you could reach out and touch it and you could reach out and touch it because when a when a when a blood moon happens it's a lunar eclipse but it's a special lunar eclipse it's a lunar eclipse with a super moon now a super moon is once a year in the rotation that the of the of, of the earth it's, it kind of wobbles on a rotate, rotation. It's not a perfect circle. It's almost like an egg shape. And so it hits one point of the year, every year, that the moon is closer to the moon than it would ever be. That the, sorry, that the Earth is closer to the moon than it would ever be. It lasts a very little time, but in, in that one session, if everything is lined up astrologically, you get a blood moon. You know, So the, it's a lunar eclipse with a supermoon uh, when the Earth comes between the sun and the supermoon. You know, that happens from time to time, but it's very rare that we get a blood moon. You know, ancient civilizations like the Incas, they interpreted the, uh, the red blood moon as evil. They also interpreted it as a, as, as a jaguar attacking the moon and it's biting it. And that's why the moon is, bled, is, is bleeding. You know, it's so rare that a, that a supermoon eclipse, that people call it a, like a strange cocktail of cosmic forces, you know, if you ask me, it symbolizes beginnings, endings, culminations, and clean slates. You know, eclipses, they're, they're necessary times that bookend the period of life you've been living in. It's a Sagittarius occurrence. And so, as I said before, you know, it's a day, it's a, it's a, it's a time of refreshment. So if anybody out there is listening and they're thinking of doing something new, you know, now's, now's the time to do it. As I said, it's a Sagittarius occurrence. So Grab that ram by the horns and, and, and change your life around and do what you've always wanted to do. Now's the time to do it. So the music that brought us in today was People of the Sun by Rage Against the Machine. Fantastic song, fantastic group. And, you know, the sun is something that we've been dealing with for the past two podcasts. And subsequently in the future, we have two more podcasts leading uh, leading about the sun talking about the sun and the summer solstice the summer equinox which is happening on june 21st so after this one we'll have episode three sometime in the next couple weeks and then we're gonna i'm gonna finalize everything with episode four of my summer solstice hidden in plain sight series on the summer solstice itself and so today's 
number two episode entitled Serpentine, an ancient solstice monument in Ontario. Ancient cultures have always looked to the sun for sustenance. The sun remains the only constant, raises in the east and sets in the west. Tracking the sun has always been a priority for mankind for a variety of reasons. The worship of the sun, be it for spiritual practice, crop timing, telling time, or construction, the sun can do it all. Ancient civilizations like the Mayans and Egyptians, and even here in Canada, all shared a common reverence for the sun and our astronomical relationship with the heavens. The Celtic were the, were the, were the, were the same. Same goes for the, the Ottomans and the Romans too. The list of sun worshippers goes on and on and stretches the globe. You know, years ago, I had a chance to go to, um, to the Mayan Peninsula and we went and visited Chichen Itza and it is mind blowing. They have an edifice there um, called El Castillo, which in Spanish means the castle. And what it is, it's, a, it's an Aztec monument that was, that was built on the territory called uh, Kukulkan. And it, if you look at the way that El Castillo is built, it's a, it's a pyramid, but it's a, it's a block pyramid, like a step pyramid. And highlighted down one side of the, of the steps, you could see that there's a serpent coming down the steps and it all ends on the ground with the serpent head. And what it is, it's a stylized serpent, it's a feathered serpent. And that feather serpent is also called Kukulkan. And it's closely related to the, the Mayan belief of Quetzalcoatl, which was their feathered serpent. You know, and both of them are the god of light. And what brings light? Sun. And when is the sun at its, at its peak and most important? During the summer equinox, which we're talking about today. So the Kukulkan pyramid, El Castillo, it has this, when the sun hits on the solstice, and it moves up, it looks like the snake is crawling down the edges of the pyramid, of the block pyramid. It's fascinating. I seen a, I wasn't there for the summer solstice, but I saw a real-time video of it, and it'll blow your mind. The amount of measurement and the amount of intelligence used to build such an edifice, it's way back when, of course, it's, it's very impressive. And it's a serpent. So you can see that serpents have always been revered for a very long time. And another interesting fact about El Castillo, the uh, Culcucan Pyramid, is that there's four sides to the pyramid, and each side has 91 steps. Okay? And then on top is, a, is sitting a platform where they would do sacrifice, where they would have ceremonies up there. And if you, if you take the 91 steps, and you times it by the... Um, the amount of um, the sides of the pyramid, it's a four-sided four pyramid, and you add the platform, it's 365. It's 365 one year. So by the time the sun makes a rotation and they follow step by step on, on uh, El Castillo, one year would have passed. Mind blown. I loved it. That was fantastic. And it all has to do with the sun. That's what I'm saying. The sun is very important. You know, back here in North America, in, in Ohio, there's the Great Serpent Mound, which is the largest effigy mound in the world that relays the sun's position during equinox and solstice events. Its age and who created it still remains unknown. It's very mysterious. 
in Scotland at Loch Nell. There's a, there's a hundred meter serpent shaped mound. It's similar to multiple other serpent mound formations in Scotland and Ireland. The Damani, they were an early Celtic tribe of the Strathclyde area and were famously known for their serpent slash sun worship. You know, I've mentioned quite the international arsenal of solstice snake mounds, and I'd like to add Ottawa to the ranks of equinoxical snake mounds. Close to Peterborough on, on Rice Lake, there's another massive ancient serpent structure that is now closed off to the public, unfortunately. So far, during my, during my research, it's the only one of its kind in Canada. So why close it off? Like this is like the the, the find of the century, and it's it, it and it's closed off. You know, it this should be open to the public. But you know, I do kind of get some reasoning down to why it was closed, but we'll deal with that in a second. So I'm I'm looking at a map now that has the Serpent Mound at Keen at Keen, Ontario, here in Canada, of course, and it's right on Rice Lake, not too far from Ottawa, in a little town, little town called Peterborough, and so. With my calculations, the Serpent Mound is around maybe 200 meters from the banks of Rice Lake. And it, it looks fantastic. I'm looking at some pictures now. I, I know I'm going to get an Instagram or something. I'm going to put these pictures up so you all could see. And like the grass is perfect, and it's these mounds. And if you follow it along, it definitely is a snake mound. you got to check this out. So the mystery of the large snake effigy on Rice Lake, south of the village of Keene in Peterborough County, was constructed thousands of years ago, yet the mystery remains, why? What's, what's its purpose? When the Serpentine Mound was open to the public, local lore and expert and frequent contributor, personally here in mind, Mr. Andrew King, was granted access to the mound to test his, so he had a solar alignment theory, and so he was, he was granted access to test his solar alignment theory. You know, he has done a lot of great work and research, which he concluded possesses something of far greater significance than originally thought. You know, through his studies, it was shown and proven beyond a shadow of the doubt that there lies a greater secret and a huge dive into our local history than we may have first thought. So yeah, so this local researcher who, this guy does fantastic work, he had a theory because he saw it and he's like, this is a serpent mound. And so he thought, that it, you know, it was connected to the other sun slash serpent worship here in North America and in Europe and around the world. And he proved that this snake, this serpentine mound, is something to behold. The Solstice Mound was discovered in 1896 by David Boyle. Yeah, so Andrew King didn't discover the mound. It was discovered by a, an archaeologist named David Boyle, but it's, it's Andrew King who had the serpent mound theory and the Solstice Equinox theory. So in 1896, an archaeologist named David Boyle, he found, he discovered the Solstice Mound, and he photographed and sketched the mysterious structure. After the initial Boyd discovery and investigation, it remained a dormant snake until 1955, when further research was done with modern measurements. The Serpent Mound here in Ottawa measures 200 feet long and follows a snake shape. There are several smaller circular mounds nearby, commonly referred to as serpent eggs. During Boyle's discovery, he noted that there was an east-west axis orientation through the mounds. So in speaking with both indigenous and non-indigenous people of the area who believed it to be a, a, 
uh, like a, a, f a form of raised earth defense embankment to fight off the invading Iroquois. But in 1897, when Boyle was closing up his investigation, one of his last acts on Serpent Mound, he dug into the Serpentine Equinox Mound and made the grisly and curious discovery of grave burials and skeletons. Amazing. So in, in his last ditch effort, he, was, he had a hunch and he just dug right in and boom, Indian burial ground. And I have a picture of it here that I'm that I'm looking at, and there is a quote that uh, that I'd like to uh, allude to. But I'll get to that in a second. So, in a subsequent interview with the Peterborough Daily Examiner, dated September fifth, eighteen ninety six, thank you, City of Peterborough, uh, Boyle was quoted as saying, "This is the quote that I was alluding to: the Serpent and Egg Mound is one of the most unique and interesting features of archaeological occurrence in this country." These mounds are found commonly in the remains of Europe and the old world and are regarded as evidences of the prevalence of serpent worship, one of the earliest forms of adoration amongst primitive peoples, suggestive of religious reminiscence of the serpent incident in Eden, doubtless the germ idea of this form of worship. So he's, he's making it biblical and that's how it goes down, you know, he's making, he's making the connection between ancient civilizations around the world and locally here in the Ottawa area. And he has a great sketch that he drew that I have a copy of, and it's he titled it Ground Plan of Otanabe Serpent Mound. And the Otanabe were the were the indigenous people who uh, who lived in that area long, long time ago. In nineteen fifty five, the Royal Ontario Museum, the uh, ROM, they started a financial they started a uh, and financed a program to find out the history and origin of the mound. The archaeological investigation lasted a couple of years, and during that time, numerous prehistoric native burial grounds were uncovered in vicinity to Serpent Mound, 21 in the mound themselves. So this whole place, it's pockmarked with, with uh, ancient civilizations, ancient mysteries, and ancient indigenous burial grounds. Fascinating. In 1961, the ROM posted a provincial historical plaque to commemorate the prehistoric and mysterious serpent mounds and concluded, it's another quote here, so ROM concluded, while no definite conclusions have been drawn regarding the purpose of these ancient mounds, it is believed they were originally constructed about the 2nd century AD, and they were of religious or ceremonial significance to the people who built them. So the connection's already made. This is spiritual, it's indigenous, and it's equinoxical. The mysterious site was operating as a provincial park ever since, and in 1982, the Serpent Mounds were designated a National Historic Site. Between 1995 and 2009, the Hiawatha First Nation operated the park privately, offering, by appointment only, camping facilities, beach access on Rice Lake, a cultural center and interpretive walks among the mysterious Serpent Hill. But unfortunately in 2009, the park was closed, never to be open again. That's a real shame because for the past 12 years, since access to the Serpent Mound has been halted, literally the most significant archeoastronomical site in Canada has been without visitors, investigations, nor conclusions. Who built it? Why do bodies lie within? Whose skeletons were they? No, who knows? All the effects of Serpent Mound leave a large question mark that will probably never be explained and will leave the theory 
of the archaeoastronomical solstice alignment in the dark and only leaves us, the curious ones, with a deep understanding of who built Serpent Mound and why. Amazing. So you could add Ottawa and the surrounding area to the, the likes of the, the Mayans, the Incas, the Celtic, and other ancient civilizations all around the world with their adoration and their love of the sun, their need of the sun, and the representation of the serpent. So, you know, once again, gang, big thanks to all my avid listeners. You guys rock. Big thanks to Andrew King, Hiawatha, First Nation. You know, stay tuned for episode three of my summer solstice four-part series. And as always, stay suburban. Stay mystified. <laughs>